The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. This is quite a different convocation from our normal course of affairs, but it is uh, no less important. And so uh, I am really pleased that we are beginning this year on campus, on site, together, and uh, look forward to the moments that we have together this morning to begin this semester. Convocation uh, for us has uh, always been an opportunity for us at the beginning of the year to muster, to come together, to hear uh, uh, a few important thoughts about what it means for us to live and to learn together in community at Cairn University. It is a time for us to join together, and though we are not able all to be joining together physically, I trust that as you're joining uh, around the camp, from around the campus and via live stream, that uh, the themes and messages that we strike this morning uh, would have an impact on the way that we approach the year ahead of us. As Mr. Kaywood said, this is a year uh, that has uh, been in question for a lot of folks. There's a lot of stress and tension in the world around us, but it is a time to be excited as God's people to watch what he will do uh, in and through uh, in and through us in this year. I'm actually uh, share Mr. Kaywood's excitement for the year and, uh, and what the Lord will do here. It's a great opportunity for us with regard to being a blessing and encouragement to one another and to uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I do want to begin this year and this convocation with uh, one thought that I share at the beginning of every year. And it is this, uh, that when we come together uh, like this, as a community as diverse in experience and background as we are, different ages from different places with different backgrounds, different levels of, of, of uh, experience in the academic world, some of you as transfer students, some of you as new, some of you really excited about academics, some of you apprehensive, some of you excited about life in the dorms, some of you not so excited about life in the dorms. Whatever it is that you bring here, your sense of accomplishment or your sense of inadequacy, the things for which you are excited and the things about which you are afraid, there will be times in this year, whether you're a new student or a returning student, when you will doubt whether or not you should be here. And I like to begin each convocation by reminding you that if you are here, you are supposed to be here. That we echo the words of the Lord's servant Job, that nothing can thwart the purposes of God. So I would challenge you uh, in these opening uh, hours and days of the semester to remember that. That God in his sovereign care and leading has brought you here. From wherever you've come, from whatever experiences you have, from whatever concerns and apprehensions that may be uh, preoccupying your minds and hearts. God has brought you here. Take comfort from the fact that the Lord has brought you here that he does not make mistakes in the way that he leads and guides. And so we rejoice in God bringing each and every one of you back together to Cairn University for this year. I was thinking about what to share from the Lord's word this morning as we begin a new semester together. And it is hard to think about how to begin this year apart from thinking about the realities of the world in which we live. And even though now we have somehow come together at Cairn, it would be naive to think that the tensions and concerns and fears that exist in the greater world around us will not be carried into our midst as a university community. 
I know this is the case because I've been here a long time and know that uh, while often uh, we refer to life here as life within the bubble, it is not true. If it's a bubble, it's one with extremely porous covering because what's out there finds its way in here. My hope and prayer is that what's in here will find its way out there, which is a sense of faith and love for the Lord, a commitment to one another. That's my hope and prayer. But as I was thinking about this year and how we might begin, it is really naive to think that, uh, that we will be spared some of what we see going on around us. In fact, I've been struck over the last several months, whether we're talking about issues related to COVID and not just the health concerns, but the political and social impact and economic impact of those things, the geopolitical impact of those things, whether we're talking about uh, the, the critical issue, uh, issues around race and racism in our society, in our churches, in our homes, even in our university, whether we're thinking about the personal stuff that you bring with you, the personal trials, whether that's concern for a loved one, whether it's concern for unbelief, whatever it is that you bring, it affects our life together. I've been mindful also as I've talked to people over the last several months and thought about what people are sharing with me in terms of their experiences, how divided Christians are. And I don't mean disagreeing over issues and the degree to which divine sovereignty is more important than human responsibility. I'm not talking about it. I mean differences in what we believe to be true about some of these social and cultural realities that we're dealing with. There's great tension and disagreement even within the body of Christ. And I don't even mean in that that we disagree over whether or not we should be singing with or without masks. I mean sharp divides over those things. Tensions in family, families torn apart, churches torn apart, neighborhoods torn apart, Christian organizations and ministries torn apart, by all of those things that are going on around us. Why is that? Well, because we live this life that we're called to live in a world that is not always kind, in a world that is not free from the impacts of sin and the fall, but bears the marks of it in very deep and penetrating ways. We deal with human beings who are broken and marred by the fall. This is the reality of life in this world. And sometimes life is not kind. And sometimes life is not easy. But for the Christian... When we find ourselves in those times when life is not kind and life is not easy, all the more reason to hope, all the more reason to strive, all the more reason to serve and bless and encourage one, all the more reason to lock arms as brothers and sisters in the Lord, all the more reason to think about the other and less about the self. That's what this is for us. This is not a trial that is unbearable. By God's grace, we will bear it. What I'm praying is that by God's grace, we will, we will advance the cause of Christ. We will bless and encourage one another. We will see the spreading of the gospel. We will see people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will watch the church be strengthened. You will not falter, but you will grow and be strengthened in the knowledge and grace of God. When it gets harder around us, it's those times when the Spirit of God and the grace of God are manifest in our midst and we watch great things happen. Do not be so fearful as to think all is lost and we're just weathering the storm. No, no. As Christians, we don't just weather the storm. We press on, forward. We don't concede one inch. I want to share a passage of Scripture, the passage that 
your Student Senate President Sierra read for you from Philippians chapter 2, because I think this does underscore exactly what I want us to be thinking about at the outset of this year. The Apostle Paul writing to this group of Christians that he knew very well. He brought the gospel to them. He set this church in its place. He led these people that he's writing to to faith. He knew them and they knew him. And it's more than just they knew Paul. He was their pastor and Paul knew them. They were his congregation. It's more than that. When they're reading the words of Paul in this letter, they're so familiar with him that they would hear his voice in their heads. They would see his facial expressions. You know how important that is. I can tell you how important that is. Like, I'm looking at half of your faces. I'm missing half of your face. They would have seen Paul, some of you that I know, I, I know the smirks and I know the smiles and I know that stuff, right? And the truth is these folks would have heard Paul's voice. They would have seen his face when they were listening to the words being read to them from this letter. There's a personal relationship that Paul has with this church and he's writing to them because they're in the midst of, of, of difficult times that the early church faced. But also this church was having tension within. We know that because at the end of the letter Paul names people by name that he wants to be at peace with one another and reconcile to one another. Well, how does that happen to Christians? Well, we know it happens to Christians because we live real life in the real world. We experience tension with one another. We are hard on one another. We are critical of one another. We hurt one another. The early church was not exempt from that reality. It's just part of the struggle with our flesh and the world and the devil. So the Apostle Paul says here, listen to me, those of you who know me very well. If there's any encouragement you want to give me in my imprisoned state, if there's any comfort that comes from your love for me, any participation in the Spirit, look, we're serving together, any affection, if you have any feelings for me, any sympathy, then do this for me. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's saying to them, he's imploring them on the personal, look, if, there's, if you have any feelings for me, any good recollection, if you want to partner with me in any way in what the Lord is doing, do this for me. Be of one mind, be of one accord. Complete my joy in the midst of my suffering in prison by being of one mind, of one accord, of being together in this world. He underscores it by what he says here following, don't don't get caught up in the sensibilities of the world around you, that, 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 that the world's sensibilities, they exploit your fleshly desires and inclinations. He says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. And that's a hard thing because we're just wired that way. When the pressure comes, when trouble comes, when life gets hard, when it isn't kind, when, when the tensions build, we tend to circle the wagons. I'll look out for me and mine. And Paul says, no, no, listen, don't do that. Don't, don't act out of selfish ambition or conceit, but rather, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Listen, this is a tall order for Christians. He's not saying be nice to one another. He's not saying be polite to one another. He's not saying don't give anyone a reason to think you don't like one another. He's actually saying something much more profound. He says, out of humility, setting aside selfish ambition and conceit, you should count or consider others more significant than yourselves. That is a tall order. It goes against everything. Who, I mean, this is what happens to us, right? 
You've had this happen. I've had it happen to me. Whether I'm in the store or I'm in a drive through line and somebody cuts in front of me, my first thing is, who do you think you are cutting in front of me? I mean, don't you know that today I am the center of the universe and all things revolve around me? How many times do you have that happen to you where, where you, your natural inclination is, who do you think you are stepping in front of me? Who do you think you are taking the seat from me? Who do you, and Paul is saying here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen, the Christian way is this, set aside conceit and selfish ambition and consider, not pretend that other people are more significant, actually see them as more significant than yourselves. Look, if you took this truth and this principle alone, and applied it to what we're experiencing in society today, what we're experiencing in the larger world around us, in the church, in our homes and communities, and in this university, this would remedy such a significant point. Just looking at one another and seeing one another as more significant than ourselves. The Apostle Paul saw that he was being poured out as a drink offering for the cause of Christ and the ministry of the gospel and the care of the church. Poured out. How could he do that? Because he saw others as more significant than himself. Well, when did he come to that realization? He's miraculously converted from Saul, the killer of Christians, to Paul, the missionary and pastor. The grace of God so transforms him that he is no longer thinking about his own path to the top of the Jewish tradition. He's actually giving himself over to others. He's calling you and I as Christians in this passage, the Lord is calling us, to demonstrate that kind of humility that counts others more significant than ourselves. But he goes on and adds more to it. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now it's not just a matter of looking at one another and finding value that is more significant than me and someone else. Now also what I have to do is move to meet their needs and care for their interests, not just my own. It's a perspective that actually carries with it action. It's a view and perspective that sees value and worth and dignity and significance in someone else who is not you, followed by action that you put their interests on par with yours. You go and actually do now. It isn't pretending to be polite and pretending to be unified. He says the unity that comes in the bond of Christ is born out in this, that you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Meet needs where you can. Provide encouragement where you can. Sacrifice for others. He's calling us to something greater than what the world wants from us. He's calling us to a true and full expression of Christian humility and Christian unity. But listen, it's not following the example of the Apostle Paul. He's not saying that here. He says that over and over. But it isn't, we're not modeling ourselves after Paul. He actually says this. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus opened his hands with all of his divine privileges and came to earth. The creator took on the form of creature. That's the model and example for us that our Christian faith, our belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior would change the way we see one another and treat one another. It would move us to a different kind of community that is far exceeding the world standards for community because it's born out of our, our, our faith and love for our Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the human form and then went to his death for your soul. And not just death, death on a cross. 
The most humiliating, agonizing death, the Roman. It was reserved for the dregs of society. It was not just the Roman, Roman soldiers who were treasonous were given a clean death. One blow and it was over. Criminals, enemies of the state, people Rome wished to embarrass publicly were hung on a cross so that they would agonize for hours before they finally succumbed. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself up in such a way for you that it's almost incomprehensible what he endured and the embarrassment and shame that came along with it. And now Paul says, oh no, you must have the mind of Christ in the way you feel and treat one another. It's a high calling. It's a high calling to follow the example of Jesus who humbled himself to this point. But we do it because of Jesus. In his name and for his sake and because we are the recipients of his good gifts to us. This passage, this kenosis passage, which underscores sort of Jesus' humility and his taking on human form, comes after the Apostle Paul says this to Christians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He doesn't single out one part of life. He doesn't talk about this part of life or this kind of relationship. He says, let your manner of life, your way of living, the way you conduct yourself, the way you think and feel about others, the way you treat others, the, the judgments that you have about the world around you, the way you evaluate ideas, the way you interact with people, the way you learn to disagree, the way you communicate with one another, the way you treat one another, the way you pursue one another, the way you avoid, let everything in your life, every part of your life, let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Members of the Cairn community, if we laid our manner of life along this measure, it will change everything. Everything. The way we see one another, the way we speak to one another, the way we treat one another, the way we serve one another, we lay it down to be measured about whether or not it is worthy of the gospel and everything changes. I am convinced that if Christians would embrace this explicitly biblical and gospel-centered approach to our human relations and our life together, we will be a testimony not just to how well we can get along, but to the saving work of Jesus Christ. When Christians behave this way, they turn the world upside down. And their life together is unified. They are of one mind. They are of one accord. They are caring for one another and loving one another. This year, this fall in chapel, my series will be on those one another passages. And we will be focusing on those things about loving one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, confronting one another, caring for one another, serving one another. But it begins with this that we consider others more significant than ourselves, and we look not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. That's what Paul did, because that's what Jesus did. God, give us grace to live out this truth in our daily lives. Give us grace that the manner of our life would be worthy of
of the gospel, we pray in your name. Amen.